In the opening days of World War II, Adolf Hitler was very nearly assassinated on the day of his triumph. Seven days after the capitulation of Poland's capital, Warsaw, on the 5th of October 1939, the leader of the Third Reich was meant to go up in smoke during a victory parade in the newly taken city. The bomb, which lay waiting for Hitler in Warsaw's downtown, was some 250 times more powerful than the explosives which were used by Klaus von Stauffenberg five years later, in July 1944. The explosion killed four of Hitler's closest aides and injured the Führer. You hear the plane roaring down out of control and then crashing into silence. A state of war has existed. It would be still more foolish to lose heart and courage. Thousands of people like me perished. Some of us survived. I am one of those. Untold stories from the secret state. Against the odds. How to kill Hitler. Ujazdowskie Avenue, one of Warsaw's most beautiful streets. A wide, representative alley, lined with trees which provide shade for pedestrians. The area is filled with lush greenery, filling the many parks and squares of this affluent neighbourhood. The buildings are no different. 19th century decorative mansions and townhouses, often complete with large gardens, add an air of exclusivity to the district. After all, before World War II, the Polish head of state even lived in this area. And it was here where ceremonial parades would march, showing off Poland's military power to the most powerful and influential people in the country. Yet, when it came to actual engagement, the million-strong army, seen so often to be flexing its muscles in pre-war newsreels, simply didn't have a chance to stand alone against the military might of the Third Reich to the west and Stalin's divisions which attacked Poland from the east soon after. Even though the attack against Poland lasted longer than planned and cost more than originally expected, at the beginning of October, Hitler had a reason to be in high spirits. After a siege lasting 20 days and over a dozen Luftwaffe bombing raids, Warsaw had finally surrendered. The Führer flies in to the captured city for a few hours to personally thank the soldiers for their commendable efforts. Anything remotely associated with Polish national symbolism is quickly torn down and destroyed, and the street lamps lining Ujazdowska Avenue fly red Nazi flags with their ominous black swastikas. It was in this place, where I'm standing now, where Chopin Street feeds into Ujazdowska Avenue, that a victory tribune was placed, where Hitler saluted the Wehrmacht parade for almost two hours straight. As one witness recalls, it was an uninterrupted line of people, machines and horses. The soldiers were clean-shaven and uppish, and the tracks ground of the passing tanks, both light and heavy. After the rally was over, Hitler got into an open-topped six-wheeled Mercedes, 
he stands at the front of the vehicle next to the driver. The vehicle is flanked by other cars armed with machine guns pointing towards the windows facing the street. And for good measure, an armoured transporter also joins the cavalcade, which slowly moves off. It's a straight road down to the place where the bomb is set to go off, with just a kilometre separating Hitler from death. Let's listen to what Professor Anita Prajmovska, Professor of International History from the London School of Economics, has to say. Resistance in um, occupied Polish territory came about literally because as the army was defeated, the individual commanders, rather than see the equipment and arms handed over to the Germans, actually buried or hid or, you know, distributed guns, ammunition, quite a lot of equipment. They very often also were behind the first acts of resistance, uh, organizing, you know, still acting, literally segueing from being a standing army into being underground army. So the first months are ones where the, these individual military leaders still controlled the situation. The location for the assassination was chosen with utmost care. It was at the heart of downtown Warsaw, here at the intersection of Jerusalem Avenue and Novoshvat Street. We have managed to unearth an account from the person who, in that autumn of 1939, gave the order to kill Hitler. Michał Tokarzewski Karaszewicz was merely 31 years old when he was appointed a general in the Polish army. In uniform, he was seen as austere, although privately he had a kind and friendly character who dabbled in the occult and was a follower of the secret arts. Here's a recording of him dating back more than 50 years. Wydałem jeszcze 27 września rozkazy majorowi Franciszkowi Niepokolczyckiemu. On the 27th of September, I helped prepare the plans to assassinate Hitler. Major Franciszek Niepokulczycki was in charge of diversion and sabotage. As a sapper in the Warsaw Group before the city surrendered, the Major was charged with clearing the rubble from the intersection of Nowyświat Street with Jerusalem Avenue. I instructed the Major to plant highly explosive materials and set them off after the victory parade at the moment when Hitler would be in all probability passing through down that route. The Polish general was not wrong. Hitler was on the approach, yet the bomb did not go off. History did not err from its unfaltering course. Towards the end of his life, the head of the Polish conspiracy drew back the curtains on the failure to assassinate Hitler. In emptying the streets of the general public, the Gestapo also cleared the organized observation group from the route of the parade. As a result, none of the observers could let their colleagues in charge of the explosives know when to detonate the charge. 
No one expected that after Hitler had won the battle for Warsaw, he would still be afraid of the Poles. As a precaution, during the Führer's visit, the Germans forbade all Polish residents not only from leaving their homes, but even from looking out of their windows. And absolutely no one, apart from the Germans, were allowed to look in Hitler's direction. Despite the failed attempt on the Führer, the conspirators carried on with their activities. A group of a dozen or so people gathered around Tokajewski gives rise to the beginnings of the underground state, a secret apparatus which would eventually number a bureaucracy of 50,000 officials and whose army swelled to some 400,000 soldiers. Its power was based essentially on national unity. And I think that national unity had two reasons. One, because of the extreme brutality of German occupation. And this fact is underlined by Anita Prajmowska, professor of international history at the London School of Economics. And I think the Germans, um, in spite of a number of um, military leaders initially investigating the possibility of some form of collaboration, ultimately by the end, beginning of 1940, Hitler made it quite clear that no such collaboration should take place and that the Poles should not be drawn into any form of decision making. That really meant that the Poles were excluded and, of course, also treated with extreme brutality. So it meant that that unity is forged in extreme situations. There was no doubt in the minds of individual Poles, as well as the Polish community as a whole, that they were under occupation, under occupation of the most brutal type. Terrible things happen. There was a great attempt to try to impose unity, a sort of consensus upon all representatives of the parties that existed before the war, and to draw them into decision making. And the second thing is some form of uh, civic discipline. Stefan Korboinski, one of the leaders of the underground state, reminisces on the first months of German occupation. A number of organizations appeared spontaneously. Hundreds of them emerged with the same concept of continuing the fight. No one had to be ordered or instructed, it just happened instinctively. People had it in their character, they were frustrated. All of this amounted to anger, zeal, patriotism and the undying urge to fight. Hundreds of organizations and thousands of conspirators, frustrated soldiers. This is the force that in reality the Germans could have been apprehensive about. The plans to assassinate Hitler, which were put in place in less than a week, just show the strength and organization that the Polish underground could muster. Hitler survived his only visit to Warsaw, but the fight against the occupiers was only just unfolding. In the next episode of Untold Stories from the Secret State, we meet an officer of the Polish underground who was described by the Allies as a person who won the war. We will also visit the former Gestapo prison in the heart of Warsaw, which still exists practically untouched to this very day.
hear the plane roaring down out of control and then crashing into silence. A state of war has existed. It would be still more foolish to lose heart and courage. Thousands of people like me perished. Some of us survived. I am one of those. This podcast contains materials from the archives of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Produced by Free Range Productions for the Big Histories Foundation. This production of the first 10-episode series of Untold Stories from the Secret State is financed by the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs as part of the Public Diplomacy 2020, a new dimension competition. More information about the series can be found at www.secretstate.pl.